0: So, um, Pastor Dave asked me to teach tonight. Uh, I was honored um, to get a chance to come up and, and teach. And one of the things that, uh, you know, I've, I've had this lesson now for a couple of weeks and been carrying it around. That might be why some of your sheets look like they're a little crumpled on the edges. But, um, <clears throat> yeah, uh, the lesson tonight's on uh, preservation. And so uh, we're going to look at uh, some Bible verses and maybe uh, whip up a few recipes, too. (laughs) So like when you you preserve uh, fruit, for instance, there's a procedure to that. And uh, you want to make sure you get your fruit jars really clean, maybe some ultrasonic medical tool cleaner. I don't know if you use that brand or not, but uh, that gets stuff really clean. So you got these clean fruit dryers, and then you load them up with, what, pears? Add a whole bunch of sugar. And then the process of actually sealing the lid on, I believe you use heat, and those lids pop once they get to a certain temperature. Am I right, Marianne? I, I I probably left a couple steps out along the way. Load more sugar, more sugar, in there to make it really sweet. So, you know, when we think about our lives, we have a lot of things that we uh, try to preserve, more than just the museum uptown. But you know, I was thinking out there when I was driving the auger cart today. You know that corn's in that dryer, it's getting dried down to 15% moisture because it will store and it can be preserved at that moisture. And so uh, likewise, uh, the Word of God is preserved uh, for us. And God has an interest in, in, in certainly in our well-being. And so we, um, we, we think about all the ways that He cares for us, and, and He's preserving us. So that we can be in good health and that so that we can have the things that we need. And so, when I cite examples like recipes or or how we clean medical tools or or things like that, you know, all all those things are examples of things that we do because we're interested in preservation. Uh, It says, uh, in Ephesians 430, this is not a part of your notes quite yet, but it says, "Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So this act of sealing is a way of preserving you know whether it 's a fruit jar or whether it 's us or whether it 's the Word of God and you know, it all has that same connotation of um, you know, making things last, last for a really long time and so uh, our bodies are a little like that flute, fruit jar, you know God placed uh, fruits within us and then they are sealed by the Holy Spirit. So I don't know if you guys feel like you're a pear or an apple or what else? Strawberries. <clears throat> <laughs> that kind of makes me th- think that we should have some strawberry preserves. And ice cream, <laughs> and, ice cream, ice cream. and ice cream, yeah. <laughs> okay, so um, in, in Scripture, uh, quotes that, uh, you know, the, there's a Scripture in, in Daniel 12, uh, 4, and, and it talks about uh, this book is sealed until the end time. So that uh, I should have had these marked in my Bible, huh? There's Jeremiah. There's Ezekiel. And there's Daniel. Yeah, Daniel twelve four. So this is the last chapter of Daniel. He's kind of wrapping it up. But you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. And so we see seals used in that context. And uh, even in Revelation, where you're talking about the end times, there's the end times scrolls. And the scroll has seven seals on it. Uh, Typically, those seven seals... um, Uh, I I don't know what that one will be sealed with, but like in, in Ancient of Days when they had a scroll, they sealed it with either wax or clay, and then the emperor, if it was his will or testimony, he would take his ring and put a stamp on that, and then when that wax or the clay dried, there would be an impression on the seal, and that way you would know for a fact that that a document had not been tampered with. And so there's a scroll in heaven waiting to be opened that has seven seals on it. It's God's end-time plan of redemption and, uh, for his people. And so that, that um, yeah, that's going to be exciting when we get to that. Okay. So uh, I've got this slideshow, and uh, let's see. God preserves his word. Uh, God will always preserve his word, and the other way. Ha ha. Yeah. So this is the main part. All the rest of that was just introduction. But before we get into the curriculum part of it, I just want to all join together in prayer. We'll we'll cover this and uh, go from there. So, Father, as we look closely at your word tonight, uh, we know that that you've got uh, good things in store for us. Uh, We just love you, and we want to submit to your leadership. We want to be able to study your word, and, and of course, we know that it is true and uh, that that, uh, you've got... uh, special things for us uh, that will be revealed. So we we thank you for that. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, Last week, Pastor Dave mentioned uh, the word canon. And in both Greek and Hebrew, the word canon uh, is like uh, uh, an instrument used to measure with. So, you know, if you're doing some cooking, you've got measuring cups, if you are doing some carpentry, you've got a measuring tape you know so it um, but in this case, they had a reed, and apparently most of the reeds grow to about the same length and, and so they can be used as a measuring device and, and so um that's where this word can and gets its origin it is in um, uh, Oddly enough, in both the Greek and the Hebrew, it's the same type of thing. So we've got 39 books um, in the Old Testament, 27 in the New. And as Pastor Dave mentioned last week, um, the Old Testament canon, which was like where a bunch of people came together and just agreed that Uh, You know, these are the books that we're going to call the Old Testament. And this happened in uh, 325 A.D. at the Council of Nicaea. Well, I was looking on the map. I was kind of curious. I didn't know where Nicaea was, but if you go from Istanbul and you go uh, to the east and uh, a little bit south, that's where uh, this council was held. And so uh, today that's Turkey. It would be northern Turkey. And that makes sense because that's where a lot of the action was in those days. So the, the interesting thing about it was that um, when they all got together, it wasn't like they were debating, oh, should we throw in uh, Jeremiah or should we kick out Jeremiah? Most of all the people there had already been using these 39 books as, you know, their Old Testament for at least 100 years before this. And so what we got was just kind of like a confirmation sort of thing, more than anything else. So God has been very careful to preserve, preserve His Word uh, since the beginning of time. And I, I know that if you're trying to follow along in your notes, uh, like I have in, in previous weeks, the, the lesson plan doesn't really follow the, the the, guide that we hand out here, but uh, everything, hopefully, that's in there, we touch on at, at some point o- along the way. Uh, in the words of Isaiah the prophet, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. What an appropriate scripture for the season that we live in, because you know, we're seeing things wither and fade right in front of our eyes. I was looking at my ash tree. Uh, those beautiful green leaves are already starting to turn yellow. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking pretty soon they'll be on the ground. We'll have to rake them. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. But, fortunately, you know, we've got a standard that doesn't change. And that is God's Word. The, the sum of your Word is truth. And every one of your righteousness rules and endures forever. So, we know what's true. We know that the Bible is true for us. And part of the reason that we know that is because of our experiences. You know, we've lived. We've worshiped God. We know what it's like to, to be submitted to God. We know what it's like to lay out here on the floor, slain in the Spirit. We know how the, the witness of God uh, appears to us in so many different types of situations. And so, um, you know, we're the beneficiary of basically uh, centuries or thousands of years of, of preservation. All right, there's some review uh, things going on here. This was our memory verse from last week. It's also our memory verse uh, from this week. It's all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, correction, training. Uh, that we might be complete and equipped to do it all. So breathed out by God. I was thinking about that, and, and this kind of captured my attention because, you know, when you think about it, most of the time you think about God speaking. You know, we, we God spoke everything into creation, and, and I'm not sure that there's really any other references to to breathing out. But the interesting thing about breathing out is that. You've got to breathe in, too. And, and so if God's doing the breathing out, I kind of think maybe we're supposed to be doing the breathing in part. And, and, and this, this is bad, but this is the way my mind works. You know, if you needed CPR and God was around, wow, what a great person to administer CPR to you because he's <laughs> breathing out the breath of God and you're receiving it. Well, that's kind of like... That's what we want to do. We want to receive the breath of God, and we want it to go inside of us. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, so uh, he's breathing out, and we're the ones that are breathing in. And uh, when we do breathe in, it's like we receive his Holy Spirit. And this kind of... um, Let's just see where this takes us. Yeah. It takes us into a teaching, reproof, correction, and training all become profitable as we incorporate breathing in the Scripture or calling on the Spirit to bring us revelation in His Word. And I think back to like our born-again experiences and how we, um, we, we have this three-part being that God made us into. I think it's uh, Thessalonians. Maybe I've got that even written down. First Thessalonians 5:23 talks about how we are spirit, soul, and body. So when we breathe in, you know, all of that is affected. But when when we're born again, you know, we get a new spirit, and it's going kind to of up to us in some ways to transform some of our thinking along the way. So that's more like our soul. And then our bodies just kind of come along, too. But our whole being is sealed. And so um, we, we see that, especially in training in righteousness. So we receive, receive the Spirit of God inside of us, <clears throat> as it says in 2 Corinthians 5.21. I think I can get to that fairly quickly. I know where Corinthians is right off. You know, sometimes um, you guys all use that little adage about go eat popcorn. Here I'm back on food again. (laughs) Go eat popcorn. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. So if you're ever in doubt about, you know, what way to turn in your Bible when you get to those four books, you think about, oh, I'm going to go eat some popcorn. Yeah, so this is a familiar verse, uh, 2 Corinthians 5.21. For he had made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might come uh, to be the righteousness of God in him. So there it is. We've got a connection between our memory verse and and this verse in in that uh, we've got this righteousness thing going right from the very start, right? When we're born again. And it makes perfect sense, you know. Our spirits are made perfect at that moment. You know, you want to talk about perfection in our being. All of our spirits have that working um, to our benefit. And so that's kind of what this whole righteousness connection is about. So we get training in righteousness, um, maybe even through these scriptures that we're looking at here, when we realize that, Yeah, yeah, I am righteous. I am the righteousness of God in Christ. And and that was given to my spirit at our new birth. All right. Okay, so this is just the same scripture. I think it's in there twice, but uh, there it is in its entirety again. Breathe it out by God. We get all these good things. Um, oh, yeah. Okay, so th- this is also review, like it says there at the top of that slide. And so let's turn to, to 2 Peter 1.19. After Hebrews, James, 1 Peter, 2 Peter. Yeah, there it is, is. Uh, Second uh, Peter 1.19. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed as a light that shines in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Okay. The, the thing that, that uh, really got to me about this particular verse is that uh, I think this also deals with the born-again experience. The morning star is a reference to Jesus. Uh, In Revelation, he called himself, in red letters, the morning star. There's about four or five places in the Old Testament where that reference is used uh, for Jesus, too. And and so um, if you look at the first half of the verse, you'll see that it's talking about the prophetic word, You know, much of which, I guess, you could call um, uh, well, a lot of the Old Testament is the prophetic word. Moses wrote the first five uh, books of the Old Testament, and then all the rest of it is basically uh, written by the prophets. But um, here, when you look at this, um, it says, well, you've got the prophetic word. And you would do well to heed that as a light that shines in a dark place. So um, the the interesting thing is, uh, the reference to the morning star is that um, that's typically the planet Venus that comes up in the morning. And it comes up anywhere from like a few minutes before dawn to maybe like two hours before dawn. But it always precedes the sun coming up. And, and so when you think about um, the morning star, th- there's all sorts of uh, things that may come to your mind. You know, it's, it's a symbol uh, of hope, uh, a symbol of reassurance. And so um, when that morning star comes up, it's like saying, oh yeah, yeah, there's hope that soon the sun will rise because I see the morning star over there, actually over there, and uh, you know, in that sense, that's the same way that the prophetic word acts in preceding Jesus. And so, if you don't have Jesus in your life, if you don't have that born again experience, basically that's all you got. You got the prophetic word seen in the law. And I think that that's basically what this uh, verse is uh, saying. And so, yeah, we take, um, we have the prophetic word, but we also have the morning star that that gives us our hope and uh, our reassurance. Okay, moving on. Pretty soon we'll be out of the review. Uh, Okay, I just said everything I typed out there, I think. Yeah, you need a lamp if you don't have the morning star or you need the... um, the prophetic scriptures and and that's the reason that I'm so glad that we have this whole concept of grace that covers us if we had to just live on the prophetic scripture we would be bound to the word and and, you know being bound to the word there's nothing wrong with being bound to the word if you know that your salvation is by grace you know that way you hear the word you know you, you you want to do the word But you're not bound to do every little thing, every jot and tittle in there. So, um, yeah, I don't think, yeah, okay, yeah. I, I had some other references there, so. Uh, it is possible, uh, according to the Scripture, to live the perfect life. And, and you'll see in, in Romans 2, verses 12 and 13, a reference to the fact that that um, if you obeyed every little facet of the law, then salvation would be yours. But if you go to Romans 3, 20, it also says that no one can do that. So we need grace We don't need to be bound by just relying on the prophetic word. Okay, so knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So now we're getting a little closer to our our preservation theme. Because this wasn't just man's idea to come up with these words that are in this book. This was God speaking to these people, them speaking it again to other people, having it dictated where a scribe could uh, write it down, or they themselves wrote it down, and and all by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And and so this is maybe one of the the key verses in... in, um, you know, presenting our faith to, to other people, uh, th- they would want to say, well, no, that's uh, just people. They were just men uh, like you and me, and they were um, writing this uh, just of their own accord. Well, that's not the case. And if you show them this, you know, you can show them that Second Peter 1.20, And 21 says no, inspired by the Holy Spirit. Good verse. Okay, so moving on. um, If you could travel back in time, what one event in the biblical history would you want to be present for? And I've got one for you. That's gonna be on the next slide. But, you know, just think. most likely it would involve Jesus, you know. And, and there was one time when when Jesus was giving kind of like his autobiography, his summary of his life. And, and that was uh, the, the Sunday that he was resurrected uh, from the grave. And he was walking on this road to Emmaus. And, and so that's what we're going to look at. And... Uh, I think it's uh, you know, one of the things that, that he was presenting uh, to these two other people that were his disciples, um, all the things that related in his life to the prophetic word in the o- Old Testament and, and how he came to fulfill it. And so that in itself uh, gives validity to the prophetic word in the Old Testament. If Jesus thought enough about what was going on uh, to want to give this account of his life to these two guys, then um, you know, that, that gives substance to the, the prophecy and its fulfillment. So uh, let's turn, uh, turn, turn, turn. This is a part of your lesson plan. Yeah, so it's, the counts in Luke. Yeah, Luke twenty four thirteen. To you get your Bible, or if you get your Bible app, you can go to that. Okay, the lesson plan said I should ask for someone if they wanted to read this out loud. Okay, <laughs> I got the microphone and you don't, but you could pretend like you're reading that out loud. Okay, 24, uh, 13, I could get it on the right page here. It says, now behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village named Emmaus, uh, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And that is seven miles to the west of Jerusalem, which would be toward the Mediterranean. And they talked together all of these things, which had happened. So it was, while they conversed and reasoned, that Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained, so they did not know him. Okay, I think I got another slide on this. Oh, maybe not. Oh, yeah, they didn't recognize him. Well, they were disciples of Jesus. They knew Him. They'd been with Him ahead of time. But this event occurs prior to Pentecost, and and so they hadn't received the baptism of the Holy Spirit yet. So it says that their eyes would have been veiled. And so, you know, what happens after Pentecost? We can look at that in in 2 Corinthians 3.18. And that says... Yeah, but, but we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed in the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Wow. That's got to be a favorite verse. When, when I come to a verse, a lot of times what I'll do is I'll make a check mark uh, in the margin. And, and some verses, I just got a whole margin full of check marks, and this is one of those. That it's just one of my favorites. But uh, because uh, we have the Spirit of the Lord living inside of us, uh, we, we, uh, we don't have a, a veiled face. We, we have an unveiled face, but obviously their faces were, um, were veiled at, at that point in time until they got a, a true revelation of who Jesus was. And, and that's gonna happen Let's see, should I go back a slide? Did I miss something here? Two yeah, yeah. But, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What is the conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. And then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor of Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these days? Uh, that very day, two of them, oops, oops, oops. Yeah, so they didn't recognize him. And he said to them, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, the man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. And our chief priest and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. <clears throat> but we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. <coughs> yeah, they had hoped that he would be the, the king to redeem Israel. But he didn't come as a king. He, he will when he comes a second time. He came as a lamb uh, to save his people. And so... Um, You know, they were looking for a a military victory, and so they didn't get it at all. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels. Yeah, who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb And found it just as the women had said, but they they did not see, did not see him. And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. So in other words, he recognizes the fact that they are not trying to hook up all these events with the prophetic word that had been given. You know, seems like kind of a harsh re- rebuke, but he's trying to get him on the right track here. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scripture the things concerning himself. So he goes back and cites hey, remember that scripture? Yeah, that was me. I did that. I fulfilled that prophecy. So they drew near to the village which they were going, and he acted as if he were going further, or farther. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them, and when he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed and broke it and gave it to them and their eyes were opened. Okay, so when he shared his personal being, you know, when he broke the bread, his body, that was the point at time when they got it. Oh yeah, this is just like the Last Supper, we heard about that. Yeah, and they said, and their eyes were open and they recognized him and he vanished in their sight, so. Yeah, that would be something. And they said to each other, Did not our hearts burn within us while you talked to us on the road, while you opened to us the scriptures? And this might have been some of the things that he talked about. And here are the Bible references uh, the word at creation, uh, that's the Gospel of John that we are familiar with about the word and, of course, being Jesus, and then also Genesis 1. Um, The promised Messiah is Genesis 3.15. The rock that was broken was Jesus. The bruised, beaten, and crucified Savior is a reference in Psalm 22. Also in Isaiah 5, verse 3. I didn't look that one up. Is that... Is that correct? And then the Son of Righteousness. Now, I've heard that there's a book written, I don't know the name of it, but it goes through each one of the books in the Old Testament, and it gives a reference to Jesus in a verse. And so this was kind of, when I ran across this in the lesson guide, um, that made me think of that book, but I'm not quite literate enough to know the name of it. Yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking. Yeah, <laughs> 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 Isaiah 53 is a really cool chapter. Yeah. Okay, so here we go. Uh, God is preserving His Word; He will not let it perish. And so the, there is an account how God actively um, has been about doing that. And so if you would turn to uh, Jeremiah, in the Old Testament, Isaiah, Jeremiah. And then um, we go to verse, uh, chapter 36. I guess I'm appointed to read this one too. Uh, This one's a little longer. If you thought the last one was long, get ready. (laughs) Because now we're in the Old Testament. (laughs) Takes a little more attention to get through some of this. But there is a purpose in in reading this. Uh, Now it came to pass in the fourth year of, of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, the king of Judah, that this word came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Take a scroll of a book, And write uh, on it all the words that I have spoken to you against Israel and Judah and all the nations. And from the day that I spoke to you from the days of Josiah until today. That it may be in the house of Judah to hear all the disaster that I intend to do To them. Okay, this is God speaking. He's not happy with what's going on. So that every one of you may turn from his evil way and that I may forgive their iniquity and their sin. Then Jeremiah called Baruch, the son of Neriah. And Baruch wrote on a scroll at the dictation of Jeremiah, uh, the words of the Lord that had been spoken to him. So Baruch is a scribe. Jeremiah is a prophet. And so then we skip to uh, verse 17. And that goes on to say, then they ask Baruch, tell us, please, how did you write all these words? Was it at his dictation? And Baruch answered them, he dictated all these words to me while I wrote them with ink on the scroll. Then the the officials said to Baruch, go and hide you and Jeremiah. Let no one know where you are. And and so that obviously uh, not an acceptance of this. They're fearful that once this uh, prophecy of doom comes out that... uh, that they'll be, um, yeah. That their lives will be in danger. So they, they went into the court of the king. Nevertheless, having put the scroll in the chamber of <coughs> Elishama, the secretary, and they reported all the words to the king. And the king sent Jehu, Jehruh, Jehudi, yeah, Jehudi to get the scroll, and he took it from the chamber of Elishama, the secretary, and Jehudi read it to the king and all the officials who stood by the king. It was the ninth month and the king was sitting in the winter house and there was a fire burning in the fire pot before him. And Jehudi read three or four columns. The king would cut them with a knife and throw them into the fire in the fire pot until the entire entire scroll was consumed in the fire and that was in the fire pot. Yet neither the king nor any of his servants who heard these words was afraid, nor did they tear their garments. Even when uh, El Nathan and Delilah and Jeremiah urged the king not to burn the scroll, he would not listen to them. And the king commanded uh, Jeremiel, the son, the king's son, and Saraiah, the son of Aziru, and Shelemiah, the son of the next guy, to seize Baruch and the secretary and Jeremiah, sure enough, yeah, the prophet. But the Lord hid them. And so the word came out that they needed to repent. They needed to change their ways. You know, but the king would have none of it. And so this, this is a, a, an Israeli or a, a society in Judah that is decrepit. Uh, they are not paying attention to God whatsoever, including the king. And really, Jeremiah is the only one that, that uh, has gotten this revelation from God that, that uh, things need to change. Now, after the king had burned the scroll with the words that Maruth wrote at Jeremiah's dictation, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Take another scroll and write on it all the former words that were in the first scroll, which Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, has burned. And concerning Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, you shall say, Thus says the Lord, You have burned this scroll, saying, Why have you written in it the king of Babylon will certainly come and destroy this land and he will cut it off from the man and beast. Therefore, says the the Lord concerning Jehoiakim, king of Judah, he shall have none, none to sit on the throne of David and his dead body shall be cast out to the heat of the day and frost by night. And I will punish him and his offspring and his servants for their iniquity. I will bring upon them and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem and upon the people of Judah all the disaster that I have pronounced against them, and they would, but they would not hear. Then Jeremiah took another scroll and gave it to Baruch the scribe, the son of Nariah, who wrote on it the dictation of Jeremiah and all the words of the scroll that. Jehoiakim the king had burned in the fire, and many similar words were added to them. So, that is the account. Uh, There was a period of time in there where they did repent, but but it was uh, like, uh, it didn't come until the next generation. All right, so um, here's an example of how the Word of God was preserved. You know, it could have been lost in the fire. but God specifically told Jeremiah, don't let that happen. Go back and rewrite it. There's still hope. And, and, and there was still hope because uh, the, the, the Son eventually... Uh, once he, he got on the throne, was able to uh, repent, and and, uh, and but unfortunately, one of the the following generation had the same problem. But there was a little period uh, of time in there where the leadership was repentant, and uh, God was true to His word not to destroy them, until He saw no, this was hopeless, and, and they were overtaken by Babylon. So here's another example. You know, we see Jesus himself on the road to Emmaus uh, confirming Scripture. Here we find this Old Testament account of how Scripture was preserved. Uh, If we just look at some of the uh, evidence, uh, the apologetic and historical evidence that that surrounds the preservation uh, of the Word of God, we find that uh, we, we could, for instance, look at the Dead Sea Scrolls. Um, and I don't think the Dead Sea Scrolls, scrolls are, are the, probably the um, strongest argument, not because they're not valid. Certainly they're valid. But if you're talking to someone that doesn't believe in God, just to mention, well, yeah, how about the Dead Sea Scrolls? You know, that's probably not going to lead them to the Lord. No. But, nevertheless, um, we probably should know a, a little bit about them. You know, the, the manuscripts were written, um, well, they were discovered in about 150 B.C. And they were written a thousand years before that. So God preserved those scrolls for that thousand years. And if you were just to to look at a biblical timeline, most of that Old Testament was written between uh, 1500 B.C. and 400 B.C. in a span of 1100 years. That's where all those books of the Old Testament were written. And and, uh, so when they were discovered, uh, it, it was like, wow, here are all these manuscripts. And they're so complete. You know, before they just had kind of bits and fragments. And then, but as they read through them, they realized, oh, these all work together, you know. They all fit together like they're supposed to. There's very little discrepancy between what we found as this completed work and all these other fragmented works that were discovered earlier. And, and so, uh, they got pretty excited about that at the time. Um, So here's the the point. It says the two copies of of Isaiah were compared. They were found to be 95% accurate to the Hebrew Bible, even though they were written over uh, 1,000 years apart. And and it says that that the evidence of the ancient Old Testament Hebrew text, together with the astounding number of more than 34,000 partial and, and completed manuscripts of the New Testament, gives us the solid historical background to the reliability of the Bible. That 34,000 number, that means that there's that many different documents that have been discovered over the years that relate to parts of the Old Testament. That's far and away greater than any other historical book that, uh, you know, in literature that has been discovered. And so That gives credence to the idea, too, of the reliability of the Bible. And then Jesus himself, um, we we talked about his account uh, on the road to Emmaus, but there are other times when when he wanted to cite um, the Old Testament. For instance, when he was tempted by Satan, he cited it. Um, when he was reading out of the book of Isaiah, when he proclaimed that he was a Messiah, uh, he he came to fulfill that prophecy. And so uh, several accounts of that. Okay, well, I guess Pastor Dave knew that maybe I was going to end up 12 minutes short. That is our lesson.